Meet our mom, Kelly Hutchison. She is a life coach. She is a child counselor. She is a teacher. She's a parent coach. And she's a mom to us. She will teach you to stop yelling at your kids. She will teach you to get your kids to lesson. She will teach you how to never sleep with mommy guilt again. She will teach you how to be an imperfect mom. So you can help your kids be imperfect too. And have harmony in the home. Hi everyone and welcome to episode three. And we're talking about yelling and how to stop yelling at our kids. I get this email over and over and over. How do I stop yelling, Kelly? How do I do it? I feel so guilty. I feel so much shame. No one's listening to me. If they would just listen, I wouldn't have to yell. And I have had parents fill out the surveys for, I've been doing the parenting bootcamp for free since 2015. And one of the prerequisites to entering is that you fill out a survey. And so it's been about, I'm not sure what, when you'll be listening to this, but it's been about five years now and I've done them every single month. So that's almost 60 months. And there's sometimes a hundred people in there. There's sometimes 500 people in there. So doing the math, you can see that there is a lot of surveys that I have and they all go into a Google drive so I can see them at a snapshot and I can kind of sort them by what they're struggling with. And 99.999% of what do you struggle with most is Kelly, I can't stop yelling at my kids. No one listens. I feel so frustrated. I feel so guilty for yelling at them. And so I realized that there was a great need there for how to stop the yelling. And the good news is you don't have to change your kids at all because the kids are yelling just because you're yelling. It's kind of like, Stop yelling at your brother as you're yelling at them or don't hit your sister as you're spanking them because they're just like so confused. They're like, all mom, dad do is yell when they're frustrated. So then I yell when I'm frustrated and they're so confused at why that's not okay. So I want you to always know that lessons are always caught and never taught. And I know that guilt is a huge driving factor of why you want to stop yelling. But I want to take a step further and try to give you some ahas and some clicks and some light bulbs moments or, so, or maybe some lightning bolt moments. I always say the aha moments are like the little pebble and then the clicks are like, oh, I like that saying. I like that line. Oh, that makes sense. And then the lightning bolts are the ones that like, whoa, like I've had so many lightning bolt moments. And so it's funny because when I try to teach, I will tell them my lightning bolt moment and they're like, oh, cool. And then I'll say something else that's just very to me seems very generic. And they're like, oh my gosh, that was a lightning bolt moment. I'm like, really? So lightning bolts and the clicks and the ahas are going to happen different times for different people based on your level of consciousness, your better based on your level of openness and based on your level of shedding the ego. You'll, you'll feel your ego shedding over and over and over. And it's a super empowering process. And it's also super scary because it's super vulnerable. And vulnerability breeds vulnerability. I love vulnerability. It's like letting go of your wooby though at the same time. It's like, I really like sleeping with my wooby, even though my wooby is like sandpaper, but my wooby somehow gives me com- comfort. So it's letting go of your wooby, but I'm just here to tell you that letting go of your wooby, it's gonna be okay. Nothing bad is really gonna happen. And negative emotions aren't that scary. Once you 
realize and do the process over and over and over. And also know that this is always a journey and not a destination. When I'm working with clients, they're like, okay, how long did it take you? How long did it take to see the change in your kids? How long? How long? I'm like, I'm on the journey every single stinking honking day. And it's awesome. So when you're always choosing the harder path, life starts to feel a little bit easier. But when you're always choosing the easier path and yelling and screaming and sleeping with the mommy guilt, then life feels very hard. So it's a path that your brain is not going to want to go down, but your heart is want is going to want to go down the path. So it's definitely a, a path you want to travel because parenting is a lot more fun and it's cool to get energy from your kids. It's cool to get excited to pick them up or get excited when they come home from school or get excited when they go to the store with their dad and then they come home and you just can't wait to see them versus like, oh, the garage door opens. Oh God, I wonder what's going to happen next. So that's my goal is to have you enjoy your kids more and to actually like them. And when you enjoy and like them more, which I wasn't doing before. I wasn't really enjoying all this, the parenting and these beautiful miracles God gave me. I wasn't really enjoying it. I was kind of white knuckling through it. And so the cool thing is when you, I mean, we know that you love your child and we know that I love my kids and I love your kids because your kids are my kids. My kids are your kids. Kids are kids are kids. But the cool thing that happens is when you like and love your kids, then they start to like and love themselves because they're like, wow, I must be pretty darn special if my mom not only loves me, but she likes me. And kids really know if they're liked by their parents. They all feel the love, but like is a whole different ballgame. So I came up with this acronym called GASCAM of six reasons, no particular order, instead of living and trying to have guilt motivate you, because I don't know about you, but guilt doesn't really propel me into the next level of my involvement of life. Guilt doesn't really work for me other than make me feel bad and beat myself up. And you can't really grow from lack. So I always, the gas camp stands for, the G stands for child of God. This is my favorite one. This is not, I'm not saying that these are in a particular order of the, the best to the worst. I want you to have your ahas and your clicks and your light bulb moments. And you're going to have different ones at different times. And one might click for you more than the other. This is the one that clicked for me is I always see them as a child of God. I see them as child not belonging to me, child of the universe, child from the stork, child from the creator, whatever you believe, see them as not belonging to you. And I, this clicked so well for me because when I was in the schools, I never saw those kids as belonging to me. I never saw them as, I saw them as belonging to Susie and Johnny. I didn't see them as belonging to me. So I wasn't super triggered by them. I wasn't like, there was no buttons. Dr. Shafali taught me, she's like, no one can ever push your buttons. And I was like, I almost fell out of my chair when she said that at an event. I was like, say, what did you just say? No one can ever push your buttons. It's your ego. You put the buttons there. So it's your job to do the inner work to figure out why the button's there and follow the wires and clip those wires. And when you clip those wires, then you're buttonless. And it's pretty cool to parent from that place. So I always pretend like I'm babysitting God's children. Like that he gifted these souls to us to live in our four walls for 18 years. And I'm just babysitting. And so it's easy for me to stay calm in their storms and even the more upset they're getting, I just see them as not belonging to me, just like I saw the students not belonging to me. And it's a super cool way to parent from because you're always coming from that calm, abundant place versus lack and fear and not good enough place, which is what I was living in for years. And so they don't belong to me. So I'm always babysitting. Just like if you came over to my house, how would you interact if you're babysitting Lily and Grady or your niece and nephew or you're babysitting the neighbor's kids and they came over to play? What would you do during the messy moments? 
So that detaching is what I'm always trying to teach parents. And that's shedding of the ego, shedding of the ego. And it's always a journey and never a destination. So that's what the G stands for. The A is a big one for me also is I don't want them to be attracted to a yeller when they get older. What does that mean? So the way that they're treated between zero and 18 sets the tone for what kind of relationship they're going to seek out in their young adult and adult relationships. So if there's a lot of yelling and screaming toxicity and door slamming and snapping and and cursing or spanking, whatever it is, they're just going to go out into the world and recreate that in their adult relationships. That's how the subconscious brain works. Even though it doesn't feel that great to be yelled at, that's going to be normal for them because that's how their brain is developed and that's what they're going to seek out as they get older. And so conversely, if there's a lot of love and compassion and kindness and empathy and tenderness and holding the space and softness in the home for 18 years, when they go and get find their adult relationships, they're going to be drawn and attracted to that. So I always try to envision like, I'm really creating my future daughter-in-law and my future son-in-law. Like, it's really kind of cool. And so how am I showing up in my marriage with David and being a vulnerable soul with him? And so what is our marriage? Because they're going to go out and try to recreate that marriage. And the coolest part is when they get into a relationship where if there's a lot of love and kindness and caring and softness and empathy and connection growing up. And then they get into a relationship and there's a lot of yelling and screaming and, you know, cause they, it's honeymoon period for six months, but then month seven, it's like, this guy's a yeller. He's a name caller. Or she's the yeller and name caller. They're going to run for their lives. Cause it's going to feel so unfamiliar. And that's a cool thing to think about. So I don't want them to be attracted to a yeller. I don't want to be attracted to a name caller. I don't want to think them to think that it's okay to be treated that way when they get in their young adult and adult relationships. And this also goes for their friendships too. If there's a lot of yelling and screaming and they have a friend that yells and screams and there are all these fighting going on, then that's going to feel very normal for them. I want them to feel like it's super abnormal and it's like it does, it just feels very uncomfortable. I, the, the S in gas cam is sibling rivalry. That's a big one. We're going to spend a podcast on that. And siblings are super, super cognizant of how... I'm treating Lily during her messy moment. Grady's picking up on all of it. And when I'm talking and treating and holding the space with Grady during his messy moment, then Lily's picking up on it subconsciously. She could be in the other room. She's not even part of it, but she's making a mental note subconsciously. It's all happening below the surface. Okay, that's what I need to do when Grady frustrates me. And then Grady conversely is doing the same thing. Okay, that's what I need to do when Lily's frustrating me. Because the mus- the messy and imperfect moments are going to happen. And so how do you want to show up? And then when you're working with one child, if you have multiple children, then the other child's always picking that up. The same thing works when they're on play dates, when they're working, when they have a, um, when they're at the playground or you have someone over or a hangout or when they're at school, how are they going to handle it when someone frustrates them at school? Well, let me look how mommy handles it when her husband, when her, when daddy frustrates her or her friend does, or when I do, what does mommy do? Cause that's what I'm going to do. They just want to be just like us. And our goal is to make them just like themselves, like find their inner voice and strengthen that inner voice. So that's the gas cam. God attracted and siblings attracted yellers and sibling rivalry. The fourth one is C for connection. When you yell, scream, bark, snap, yell whatever you, whatever it looks like to you, 
You're breaking the connection with the child. And when you have connection, you have cooperation. When you have disconnection, you have uncooperative children because they don't see you as being on their team. They see it as you you against them. And if you have a strong-willed child like I do, it's going to get even stronger. It's going to get fiercer and it's going to be like, oh, really? You want to play? Let's go. And so when you just dissolve all that and it's not me against you, it's me with you. We're in this together. Let's like, let's like arms together. There's no hierarchy of like, I'm in charge. I said so. Let's do like, let's figure this out together. Like, I love you. You love me. Let's just figure this out together. So it breaks that connection. And so it's kind of like the Me Too movement. Like people were so connected over that hashtag Me Too. And so it's the same thing when you're having a messy moment and you say those words. I feel that way sometimes too. Or I felt that way when I was trying to create my website. Or I felt that way when I felt left out of that dinner party that I wasn't invited to. I know how that feels to feel left out. And that connective energy is like, whoa, that's super powerful to build relationships with your kids. And then they're going to seek that out in their relationships when they get older. That's pretty cool. I hear a lot that I want to have my kids have respect for authority. I need to teach my kids to have respect for authority. They can't talk back like that. They can't. And they go on and on and on about they want their child to have respect for authority. And I hear you, mama and dad is, I want the same things too. And I would say that I think my kids have a really good respect for authority. Conversely, though, I want my, I want the authority to respect my kids. I want my kids to know that yelling and screaming, barking, name calling, eye rolling, door slam, whatever it is, I want them to know that that's not okay. So if they're at a friend's house and that happens, or they're at school, or they're at a camp, or they're at a sleepover, or they're at a, at their boyfriend's house when they're older, having dinner with them, and this happens, this is not okay. And then they're going to come back and feel more comfortable to report that to them, that it didn't feel good. It made their tummy hurt. I always tell them if your tummy hurts when you're having experience, that's your body talking to you to tell you like, this is not feeling right. But if they're feeling that and experiencing that all the time at home, then it's going to feel very normal if they're at another location. Because, you know, when they're younger, they're under your eye all the time. But as they get older, they're going to friends' houses, they're going to sleepovers, they're going to school, they're going to camps, they're going to, you know, bounce house places. And they're not always under your watchful eyes. Then they learn how to drive. And then they're hanging out with their friends. And they're on teams. And like, I want to set the tone for how that should feel in, in the four walls is how they need to feel and how they should feel when they're outside of the four walls. So that's a pretty powerful. And then one of my favorites, you know, is modeling the behavior. If I'm yelling and screaming and barking and snapping, then they're going to be like, okay, I just need to yell and snap and bark and, and door slam when I'm feeling frustrated. So you're actually modeling the behavior you don't want to see, or you are going to find the behavior and model the behavior you do want to see. And that's what's super cool is that when the kids see that and they, that's all they know, then that's all they know. And I know that sounds pretty basic, but when that's all they know, then that's all they do. Ooh, that just came up for me. I'm going to say that again. When that's all they know, then that's all they're going to do. And when they don't do it just right and they don't do it perfectly, that's okay too. Because we want to lean into the imperfections. We want to create imperfections. When my kids get in the car, I'm like, how did you fail today? How were you imperfect? And they tell me, and I'm like, oh, listen to how I failed today. Listen to how I messed up. To normalize it so they're not so afraid, afraid of failure. The Spanx lady, Sarah, I can't think of her name right now, but the Spanx creator taught me that in, in one of her talks. She says, you know, growing up, I wasn't, I'm so successful because I'm not afraid of failure. Growing up, my parents used to ask me on the dinner table, how'd you fail today? 
And so it was kind of like, yeah, I did this. I should have turned in this assignment and I didn't. And I, sh- and I meant to, and I forgot. And I'm like, oh yeah, I meant to call this person back and I didn't. And I messed up here because I was talking about someone and I shouldn't have. And then I got back to them. That didn't feel very good. I know I'm not going to do that again. And so do you see how me being vulnerable with my kids, it's teaching them also like, I'm going to mess up and that's okay. And I'm going to get it right sometimes. And I'm going to get it wrong sometimes. But no matter what, I'm safe and I'm loved. And there's unconditional love in this home at all times, no matter what. And Brooke Castillo always says, what would love do? How would love show up? When I was growing up, my mom, I never forget this. I was like in seventh grade, such a silly story, but it's like when I was like a lightning bolt moment. I remember where I was sitting in the car. I remember where we where we were on this like Hillsborough Boulevard. I remember all of it. We were passing like quiet waters. And she said, and I was just like, you know, I didn't understand unconditional love. I didn't understand parents' love. I didn't get it. I was like very tooth fairy brain still. Even though I was in seventh grade, think about how young you were and how, Im- how not immature, but how, um, uneducated you were in the, an emotionally way and emotional wise, like how unaware you were of all that was going on. And we were driving and she just said something that literally it stopped me in my tracks. And I talk about it all the time with my kids. She said, Kelly, you don't understand how much your dad and I love you guys. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, do you understand that you could go rob a bank and we would still love you? It was like the tired, it was like the record scratched at the DJ booth. I was like, say what did you just say? She was using an extreme example to let her know, like the love does not turn on like a dimmer switch, dimmer switch on and off, on and off. And I think sometimes our kids feel that way. Like they have to act in a certain way, or they have to, they have to score the goals or they have to get the trophy or get the grades or act in a certain way or hit the home run or get the touchdown or throw the javelin or whatever it is, they put a price tag on your love and they think that the love turns on like a dimmer switch and it's on and off like a light switch. And then there's some, it turns on bright, it turns on low, it turns on bright. And my mom was teaching me in that moment, like there's nothing you could do to shut off this love. It's just flowing to you at all times because you came through me, not from me. And it's a crazy example, but I tell my kids all the time, I'm like, you go rob that bank. You go have fun, rob that bank. I know you're going to get caught, but guess what? I'll still love you. And I don't know about visiting in jail. I might call you. I might send you some letters. I'm not going to be crazy about the idea that it happened, but my love never shuts off. And that's really reassuring for kids to know because then they can go out and they can take those steps. They can take those leaps. They can push themselves out of their comfort zone because now we're, we're, we're deleting the comfort zone. Like if mom and dad's love isn't a, if isn't like a hose that turns on or off, like it's an unconditional hose that's always flowing. Well, that's a pretty cool place to live from. That's a p- pretty cool place to go to school living that way. It's a pretty cool, cool place to be on the sports team. And it doesn't matter if we win or lose or how I do, or from the best player, worst player, bench rider, it doesn't matter. When I was growing up, I played soccer very competitively. I was obsessed with soccer obsessed. And as you get to know me, if you already do know me, I have a very addictive personality. So when I love something, I love it hard. And so soccer was my love. I played at four. I was on an all boys team. They put me in goalie. I was like, ah, no, this isn't going to happen. So I would, then they put me at defense. I'm like, no, this isn't going to happen. This girl needs to score some goals. So I would be at defense and I would dribble the ball all the way up through all the boys and I would score all the goals. And they're like, hmm, that's weird. And this is before like girl power and like, you know, 
This is before all that. So I just fell in love with the sport. And I played outside. And I kicked it against the house over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And I didn't do it because my parents said you should go outside and practice. It was like a passion that pulled me outside. And I was like, I just want to play soccer. I want to play soccer in the hall with Debbie Brand. I just wanted to do all the things. I want to play soccer. I want to be on all the teams. If I could be on six teams, I'll be on six teams. If I could play seven days a week, I'll play seven days a week. If I could do pickup games, like it was a lot. And I was obsessed and I couldn't get enough. And so as I played, I played on more competitive teams. I played on the Blitz, Hi Al. Such powerful experience. I always say I learned more in the more on the soccer fields than I ever did in the classroom. And I played in high school at Boca High, go Bobcats. And it was some of the greatest experiences of my life. And I learned so much. And I was a big fish in a small pond when I was playing in high school. And then I went to UCF on a scholarship, Division One. I. I was like, this is the holy grail. This is what I've been working my whole life for. And then I get up there and I sit the bench. And now I'm a small fish in a big pond. I'm like, well, this isn't fun. And I had a coach who was a yeller and a screamer and a degrader. And I was like, well, this doesn't feel very good right now. I'm not really loving the sport all of a sudden. And it wasn't about sitting on the bench. It was about like this yelling and screaming doesn't feel good. Like what about authority respecting me? And I remember really losing my drive and losing that passion because I was, it was being yelled out of me. It was being like the passion was being killed and my spirit was being killed. I could feel it like dying. And I would sit the bench and my parents lived three hours away. They were living in Boca and they would drive up to all the games, even though they would take off work, drive up all the games. And I tell them, I'm going to sit the bench. I'll probably play three minutes. And they're like, we don't care. We just want to see you, take you out to dinner, say hi. I'm like, what? And they would make the drive. They would watch me sit the bench. I was swallowing my pride. I was so embarrassed. And I was like, you guys don't have to keep coming to these games. Like, just wait till I'm playing. And then the coach would say, oh, you're going to start tomorrow. And then I'd play like three minutes because he was like a mind teaser. And they would go to all the games. And they're like, we don't care about the soccer, Kelly. And I never felt like I was playing soccer for my parents, like to please them. They were just having a ball, whatever. If I was an underwater basket weaver, they'd be like the greatest underwater basket weaver cheerleading parents out there. And what I learned that year is that, number one, it feels awful to be yelled at because my parents weren't big yellers. This feels terrible. It was killing my spirit. And what I learned was more about unconditional love because I I stopped believing in myself because I had a coach that didn't believe in me and he wasn't playing me and I was trying so hard and... I wasn't as good as the other girls. And instead of being competitive, my parents were always very complimentary of the other t- of the other players. And they were always going up to the parents and saying like, oh my goodness, we can learn so much from these girls. So there's never a competitive edge. They were always never teaching me to compare, but what can we learn from these other players? And they would show up to all the games. I remember not believing myself, but then I was like, well, they believe in me. So I'm just going to borrow that belief from them. And they love me no matter what. And that's a really cool place to like go after your dreams and go after your goals from when you have someone in your corner like that. So even though I didn't believe in myself, I borrowed that belief from them. And then I went home that summer and I trained like I was training for the Olympics. I taught, I was watching all those other soccer players who were so much better than me. And I was like, how can I be just as good as them? How do they train? How do they eat? What are they, what are they putting in their brain? What, how are they spending their free time? Are they playing pickup games with people that are not as good? Or are they playing with the, with the men's league that are like 10 times faster? What are they doing? 
I would go to the track. I would run the run the sprints. And I was doing it because I had parents that believed in me when I believed in myself. And then the next year, I was most improved player. And then the next year, I was a starter. And then the next year, I was a captain. And I don't say that to toot my horn. I say that to toot like my parents' horn of what unconditional love can do for your child. And it's literally like fuel. It's like gas to their spirit and it's gas to their passions and it's gas to their goals. And so I just want you to completely detach and see all of this parenting journey, not about you and how you're doing as a parent, but how are our our kids teaching us where we need to grow and how are we showing up and how are we doing it in a way that we're going to be so proud of ourselves after these 940 Saturdays are over. And we're going to close that chapter and the relationship doesn't end. It just changes. And it's like, that was awesome, David. That was awesome, Kelly. And like, what am I going to say to myself? And I think it's 2026 when Lily goes to college and then 2029 when Grady goes to college. I, what am I going to say to Kelly? Like you showed up girl. And so what are you going to say after those 18 years are up? And so you get to show up in any way that you want and you get to choose every single stinking honking day, how you want to choose to show up. So I hope this helped and I love you guys. And thank you for sharing. The feedback has been amazing from this podcast and I'm having so much fun. So I hope you're having as much fun as I am. And I can't wait to share so much more talk to you next time. Hey mamas, thanks for listening. If you had any ahas, clicks, or those lightning bolt moments while listening, you have to check out my free parenting bootcamp where we take all of this to the next level and we try to create even more awakenings for ourselves so that we can connect more with our kids and never yell at them again. You can sign up at www.coachingkelly.com And if you really want to fill up my love cup, send me an email of what your aha was, what your click was, what was that lightning bolt resonating moment while you were listening. I want nothing more in life than for you to have harmony in your home and to learn how to be an imperfect mom like me, which allows your kids to be imperfect too, each and every day. Thanks for listening.